Hoffman. Thank you, Lucretia. I thought it was beautiful, so I laughed in response to the joy that you sparked in my heart. Uh, hey, everyone. Happy Easter. He is risen. Yes, we got it. I love it. I love it. Uh, as Lucretia said, my name is Josh Williams. I'm the lead pastor here at the Elm City Vineyard. It's great that we're outside again. It is a little chilly. We're going to pray for the warmth of Christ, the warmth of God. Don't look at my wife because she looks a little bit like E.T. right now. But now you might look at her and that's okay. But, you know, we need some, we need some warmth from the Spirit. So we're praying that we would receive that today. Um, if this is your first time here or your first time in a while, I'm just going to share a few stories, including the story of God's Word and the Bible. Then I'm going to give you a few invitations. Uh, that will include communion uh, and a few different ways to respond to what Jesus is doing right here, right now, with us. Um, and after that, we'll have an opportunity to worship a little bit more with music and then have a time of prayer. First, a story. I grew up in a small town in Iowa. And there was almost nothing to do in that town. I repeatedly, constantly talked to my mom and dad about how bored I was. Now that I'm a parent, I'm like, wow, I was a really annoying kid. I'm so sorry, mom and dad. But I was always saying, I'm bored, I'm bored, I'm bored. And then one day, I don't remember when, something big happened in our town. We got a mall. It was a big deal. And if this is uh, something that's maybe new to you, like a Midwestern mall in a small town. Some of you know exactly what I'm about to say. This was huge for our community. You know, there was a Claire's in that mall. Some people might know Claire's. There was Bath and Body Works, where you would just like spend time smelling things, just like over and over again. Anyone remember like KB Toys? Now I think bankrupt and defunct. Okay, we got some people. And of course there's the broken down arcade. They just didn't have the games you wanted and really didn't play that well. And in this mall, there was also an activity that was ever-present, always happening. You guys might already know what it is. They had the sweatpants. They had the headbands. They were often brightly colored. They were the mall walkers. And they were many. And they were always there. Before it opened, before any store was open, they were there. As the stores were kind of moving, bustling, they were not in them. They were outside. They were in the mall walking. You know, when the stores closed, they were still there. They were never in the food court. I don't know what they ate. They were never shopping. We never saw them in the stores. They were just always walking, walking, walking. Their domain was eight feet away from any bench, about three feet away from a store, like in that little lane that they created. That's where they were. Now, they were usually older. They were usually women. And now listen, the town that I grew up in was small, so the mall was small. So if I was there for 15 minutes, I saw these mall walkers. They, they passed me. They lapped me like many times. Like, <laughs> they, were, they, were, they were passing me all the time. They were walking, but they were very fast. And perhaps maybe I saw one of them like just by themselves from time to time, but they were almost always with one another. Pairs, usually. Many, but always in pairs. Talking, processing, journeying. You know, if I went to the mall for like a gift for my fifth grade teacher or was like looking for like the bookstore, like my latest book in my series or maybe trying to just see if I could afford anything, they were there with me, the mall walkers. So what could be so appealing about going to somewhere, not for the destination because, again, it's a Midwestern mall, but just for the journey and the experience of walking around and around, lap and lap, walking two by two? 
Something was going on there that I didn't really understand as a young person. During this pandemic that we've had, I did not become a mall walker, but I did walk quite a bit, and I know some of you all did too. What else was there to do? And the question that came to me as I was walking often was, am I alone in this, or do I have someone else? Do I have some help out here? And I think that's our question often. When we get time to reflect, to walk, even to be with ourselves, even if we don't have our you know, mall walking buddy, it's that question of, are we walking alone or are we joined with someone? The Bible has some insight about walking and how to walk with God in particular. In a book written by one of Jesus' followers, it says this in 1 John 1, 7. But if we walk in the light, as God is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us all from sin. I believe this. I believe it's hopeful, but it's hard too. It can seem difficult to walk out. How do we get ourselves in the light when even on Easter, Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, we can be reminded of the darkness? How do we get ourselves in the light when it feels like darkness is still encroaching, still around us, even on this day? The violence of war in the world, the violence of Sinclair and Shirley we're talking about even in our own city. Sometimes our own bad choices, whether it's from addictions, whether it's from disappointments. As Shirley and Sinclair were saying, this week I was able to sit down with Brian Falk's father to hear from him as he was grieving. And what came out wasn't just lament and sadness, but it was also pain. Did I do a good enough job? Was I the parent that I was supposed to be? What mistakes did I make? We were there to grieve, and yet something about the human heart just bubbled up. Was this my fault? We said, no, of course not. But isn't that what can happen to our hearts? They can often condemn us. They can tell us that we're not doing enough. They can make us struggle within. Before we started that liturgy, I felt that weight. Were we our brother's keeper? And is there hope at the end of that question or only condemnation? And yet there remains this testimony in scripture. If we walk in the light, we have fellowship with God and with one another. And Jesus' sacrifice purifies us from all sin. Well, there's really good resurrection news today. There's really good Easter news today. And it's this, that Jesus joins us for our walk. He doesn't wait for us to choose to walk with him when we can finally muster courage or obedience. Jesus is indeed a mall walker sliding up next to us to process our journey with us, offering hope and really, really good news, giving us life and life abundant, even when it's unexpected. I want to explore more and share three different ways that Jesus slides up next to us and offers us something from this resurrection. But before we do that, let's pray. God, thanks for bringing the sun out. More of it, Lord. God, thanks for bringing hope and life. God, thank you for bringing your very presence closer and closer to us. And I pray where we need that. I pray where that's 
uh, not, I pray where we've longed for your presence, that we would bring the story of the resurrection close to us, that you would bring that story close to us, especially in places of wounding, in distance, in places where we have a lack. We pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Today I'm going to talk about how resurrection brings communion, brings hope, and brings life. This is what we'll explore today as we think about what it means to walk with Jesus, this posture of choosing not to walk alone, but to humble ourselves and to walk with Jesus. When we think we're walking alone, Jesus actually walks with us. This is communion. Jesus walks and talks with us, moving us closer towards openness to God, perhaps from places of doubt or struggle. This is hope. Jesus moves us towards wholeheartedness, making our hearts burn within us. This is life, resurrection life. Let's begin with communion, what it means to be connected to Jesus. Let's imagine being one of the disciples where after the horrors of the cross on Friday, the silence of Saturday, Sunday brought with it a sense of confusion. The disciples had lived their life for the last three years tightly in community, and all of a sudden, nothing, no one, no connection. So two of the disciples went back to an old habit, and they began walking two by two to a village a couple days after Jesus had been killed. We'll pick up the biblical story there in Luke chapter 24, if you want to follow along, verse 13. It says this. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them named Cleopas asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened here in these days? What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. When we think we're walking alone, Jesus walks with us. This is communion. Cleopas and his friends, they had done some walking together, and they're going over the events of the weekend. How many times have they done this? And with who? Where were you when he was dying? I was over on this side. Where were you? Did you hear him cry out to his father? What did he say? I couldn't hear him. There were people shouting at me. I didn't hear what he said. Where did you go that night again? Were you scared? Then all of a sudden, as they were talking, a stranger joins them. Jesus himself, but they were kept from realizing it was Jesus. And he asked something. What are you all discussing as you walk along? And they tell their story about how they had hoped, what they had been looking for, what they wanted. 
They had wanted Jesus to redeem their story, not just their story individually, but their story as a culture, as a nation, as a religious group. We wanted him to redeem us, to be a savior, to be a rescuer for us. They had hoped that Jesus would have changed everything. But at this point, only time had passed. That was it. As they walk, they confess their past hopes. They think they're confessing to a stranger. Instead, they're confessing to their Savior, just disguised. And still, nothing has changed for them. Except, instead of being alone completely, they do have a connection. They are entering communion. A strange one, but it's still connection nonetheless. No matter how much they sinned that night on Friday in abandoning Jesus, or maybe they were just weak and powerless to stop something, and they are filled with shame, regardless of whatever disqualification they had, Jesus still showed up on a walk with them a few days later. Disqualification from sin? No. Disqualification from shame? No. Jesus was still walking with them, partnered with them, side by side. Because that's who our Jesus is to us. When we think we're walking alone, Jesus walks with us. This is communion. How might we here connect with Jesus even from places of lack or sadness? The disciples felt alone that weekend. For you, even on this Easter weekend, where do you feel alone? The disciples had hoped. Where do you have the most pent-up hopes right now? Maybe you have to think back to a different time when you were walking in the forest during the pandemic, when you were walking through the streets, marching for God knows what problem was happening then that required us to be out with our voices, standing tall together. Jesus was actually walking with you. Perhaps Jesus was asking you, what are you discussing as you walk along? What are you thinking about? But we may not have heard that invitation, but I hope we hear it now. What would you say to Jesus about what you were thinking about on your latest walk? When I think about prayer and connection, prayer and communion, I often ask myself this question. It's not how much I pray, how long or how short or what it's about. It's this question of, Josh, can you remember what you were talking about, what you said to God and what you might have felt God say to you back? That's my question. Because that's the question of real relationship. We know with our friends what we talk to them about last. You could probably look around the space. I can look at some of you and remember the last time we had a meaningful connection. What I shared with you, what you share with me. Do we remember that with God? Because sometimes we can think about our faith in terms of, you know, am I this or am I that? Checking a box about kind of what we would call ourselves. I think God's much more interested in what we've last said to him and what he's last said to us. Do we remember that? Because that's connection. That's communion. And that's what Jesus is offering these strangers who are his disciples. That's what the disciples are hearing the stranger who is their savior say to them. Remember, when we think we're walking alone, Jesus actually walks with us. This is communion. Jesus walks and talks with us, moving us closer towards God. This is hope. The men weren't done telling Jesus what was going on. They were still sharing their story. They had more to say, even of details that had happened that morning. Let's go to verse 22. In addition, some of our women amazed us, the disciples said. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. 
they came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, but they did not see Jesus. He said to them, how foolish you are and how so to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and then all the prophets, he explained to them all that was said in the scriptures concerning himself. We don't know how long this walk was. It seemed like it was maybe long. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he was going farther. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So Jesus went in to stay with them. These two disciples don't seem to be putting the pieces together for the story, right? The women amazed you with the story of an empty tomb. But it's not just that they saw an empty tomb. There were also angels, like messengers of God, that confirmed witnesses to the empty tomb. Like, there was a lot going on for them to put the pieces together. But they were still pretty clueless, it seems. And Jesus doesn't reveal himself, even though he gives a quintessential Jesus response. If you've read some of the scriptures, you can know it. How foolish are you? How foolish for you to not get this? People should be like, oh, that's Jesus. Like, I think he talks to me like that sometimes. Y'all have your own evidence, things that you saw today, like that you heard about today, and also the story I've been telling you over these three years, and you still don't believe. But even in Jesus kind of teasing them, ribbing them, something's happening. Hope is stirring. Jesus is now talking, telling the story, making connections, both of old, the prophet's the scriptures, but also right now in their present, he's making these connections. And the disciples went from walking alone to ushering the stranger to saying, can you please have dinner with us? I don't know if they started that day wanting to have dinner with anyone, but something was stirring within them. They had just decided to stick around a little bit more, to listen a little bit more, honestly, just not to leave or to ask this person to leave, but instead to say, come on in, have dinner with us. They sense the hope shifting around them. Let's be real. Nothing has changed to them. Nothing at all. They still think Jesus is dead. There's no redeemer for Israel. And yet we can see in the story that everything has started to change because hope is actually rising for them. No matter where we are, Jesus walks and talks with us, moving us closer towards openness to God. One of the places where I see this the most, and I'm so sad I haven't seen it recently because of the pandemic, but it's in prison Bible studies. ECV has hosted prison Bible studies both here in our city and also in York, further up in Connecticut. And what's so interesting about those studies is they usually end in the same way, where the people from ECV leave and the people who are imprisoned stay imprisoned. But from having been to those studies, I know what else happens in between, that there's words that are offered and shared, a gospel that says it doesn't matter if you're behind bars because that's not what defines freedom, that you can feel free even in this place, and you can feel free outside of this place, and God can liberate you starting right now for that journey. And to see people actually shift their perspective, to see us who are volunteering shift our perspective. That we're not going in just to share something. We're noticing what God's already doing. That God's already releasing hope as people become folks that give out that hope, even in the prison, long after we're gone. Something about staying a little bit longer, 
lingering with hope changes you, even if your circumstances don't change. The disciples' circumstances they thought hadn't changed, and yet something was getting deep within them, this hope of God. This is hope, where Jesus walks and talks with us, moving us closer towards being open. The last thing I want to share is that Jesus moves towards us. He moves us towards wholeheartedness, making our hearts burn. And this is resurrection life. It's verse 30. When Jesus was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, it is true. The Lord has risen. He's appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. It was only in breaking the bread that the disciples could remember the one who broke bread with them and washed their feet just a few days before, the one that had their body broken. This one is Jesus. This is the one who has been talking to us. Something about that sacrificial spirit of Jesus gave them remembrance. And I think they realized something because they had communion, they had connection, they had a little bit of hope, and now they remember what they've been feeling that whole time, which is a burning heart. A burning heart within them, stirring powerfully, deeply. And earlier in his life, Jesus affirmed this wholehearted life as part of what one must do to receive eternal life. Love the Lord, with your God, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. Our hearts can burn within us, family. And responding with the burning heart is one way to love God with everything we have. A burning heart helps us know we're truly alive, alive with the power of the resurrection. A burning heart can help track the places where we had hoped at a place of loneliness before communion came, places where we'd been open, even if our hope was just so small. And yes, even places where we begin experiencing life with Jesus, even in sites of death. We can experience this burning heart even now, we can remember when we experienced it. Several years ago, I was a senior at college, and I was invited to do a course where we actually went to Ghana. It would be my first time to be in Africa, my first time to be close to West Africa, to be close to this site that I'd learned about since I was a little kid. This site for me was a cultural memory, a cultural story of where my people were from, before they were sold, trapped, sent over, and came here to America as enslaved people. On that course, and some of you all that might be familiar with these kinds of things, uh, there were a, a, a huge class, but there were three of us who were black folk. I was the only black person descendant of slaves, and there was a Caribbean person, and there was someone from the continent, as if they picked it that way, <laughs> because maybe they had. Uh, and it was really weird what was happening to me because I was having a lot of ex different experiences. Um, one of them was, uh, I think I had shared that I was a person of faith, and so every time there was a question about Christianity and slavery, it was, Josh, <laughs> your thoughts? It's like, this is uncomfortable. 
So that continued, except the experience just got more and more real. We were at uh, a slave castle, and right in the middle, what do you see? It's a church. Same thing happened. Josh, your thoughts? I'd had about a minute to process. I didn't have any. But as I went up, further up past the church, and I looked out at the waters, and I kind of forget about that experience of being asked that question and kind of got out of my feelings a little bit, I was able to look at the waters, such complicated waters, right? And to say, I'm here, though, right now, and I'm free. And I've been free. And my family has been free. And somehow I got to come back and witness this. And all of a sudden, I wasn't as confused anymore. That question that, that was asked of me wasn't that present to me. And on the, the last night before we left, uh, we went to kind of like this uh, a nighttime sort of sea bar thing before the flight. And I just remember going down the rocks, getting as close as I could to the water, as close as I could to the ocean. And I remember just sitting on a rock and opening up my hands and praying thanksgiving for that experience I had had and what God had showed me. Because I felt like God was taking me on this trip. I felt God had been walking with me. That God was giving me just a little bit of hope, even with all the pressure that I was experiencing. And what I felt like as I opened my hands was that someone was holding them. Like that they were being clasped. Now I had my eyes closed. I had heard the water. I didn't feel wet. So I was like, I don't think this is the water. But there was a presence. My eyes were closed. And I just said, thank you, Jesus for being here with me, for connecting me to you, for telling me that there's life for me and life for my people, for saying that you're here even in the pain, even in the death. Asking God for life. And I remember thinking that moment, is this just the wind? <laughs> and then... I went back up, and I left. <laughs> and I remember journaling, thinking, whether that was the presence of God or the wind, what if it actually doesn't really matter as much? Because I think God met me then in a very physical way, in a tangible way. Even though there were questions, even though there was that look of, can you explain this? I couldn't. What I could do is be with Jesus with just a little bit of hope. And then Jesus provided life, resurrection life. For me, my heart was burning then. And I wonder for you, when you've last had an experience of a burning heart, and whether you want one, where do you need that? This posture of walking is the posture we need for communion, for hope, and for life. And the thing, I, the thing is, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know about all these disciples and their walking treks and their experiences I, I don't think they were as spectacular as that day where they saw Jesus and recognized him. Maybe a lot of days they just walked. And it was pretty ordinary. I come back to that question of, what if the mall walkers are right? <laughs> we don't have to walk every day for a guarantee of this like Easter spectacular time. Even for me, I didn't have to walk trying to recreate a moment I had in a different continent on a different coastline. But what if we walk because it's a habit of the resurrection? It's a habit of being with God. 
it keeps us in step with one another through communion and connection. It allows us to process our lives with Jesus as he helps us stay in the game long enough for us to have just a little bit of hope, just a seed of hope. And what if we have hope for resurrection life that's wholehearted, holding nothing back as our hearts burn within us? Perhaps each walk will be filled with stunning connection, stunning breakthrough, but more likely it'll be a habit that catches us when we stumble, a habit that gives us handholds for when we begin to soar. How many times was I unaware when I was, you know, my little Iowa teenage self, when a mall walker shared a deep confession maybe with their friend, a dream achieved, a family member lost, and their partner knew immediately to walk a little bit slower, to pause, to give a touch on the shoulder. They knew because they had been walking together for years maybe. They knew how to comfort their friend, how to be with them, how to say words or not say words. They knew what to do. They developed a habit of processing their life together. And we have the same offer, but it's with the creator of the universe, the savior of the world and the spirit who gives us the very breath in our lungs. So today we have a resurrection choice to choose to walk with that risen savior today. I want to give us a few invitations. The first is an invitation to communion, to this sacrament that allows us to be connected with Jesus. So I actually want to lead us in that time. If you have the communion elements, you can get those out. If you don't, please raise your hand and someone will give you them. Please just raise your hand high. It seems like we have a number of people who need them. As you guys get the communion elements, this meal was started as a meal of service where Jesus washed the disciples' feet and then shared the story that became the story they lived the next few days. A story of a body that was given over in remembrance. A story of blood that was shed out of love. This meal is a time for us to say that we are on a journey with God, that we're walking with Jesus, and we want to be empowered by the Spirit. I want to invite us to take out the bread, the body of Christ, and to eat, to take part in the meal. So take it with us. I want to invite you to take the cup, the blood of Jesus shed for us, and to drink together. As we take in this communion, we're reminded that this is our walk with God, our connection with Jesus, the story that Jesus tells his disciples and then lives out the next few days. I also want to invite us to a practice of hope. There are some prayer cards in the back that are going to be passed around to you. These are cards that say, just how can we pray for you? And I invite you to think, what's that last conversation you've had with God? Or maybe the last conversation just of you thinking deeply, if you haven't invited God into that. And then think, how can you make that a prayer? There's going to be cards that just say, how can we pray for you? And I want you to write that down. What's a place from your last conversation with God, your last deep thought. That's a place that you can turn into a prayer 
And then our staff and our elders are going to actually pray for you this week. There's a chance for you to put your information on there if you'd like, but feel free just to fill it out, and then you can put it back at the connection table in these little blue bins or little blue cans that you see. Because our hope is just that little bit of us that believes, that little bit of us that has faith, that little bit of us that is yearning to walk with someone, yearning to be connected. Sinclair said it about the liturgy. People were yearning for a way to get together and say, the violence in our neighborhood is wrong. And maybe you have a yearning right now, a way that you want to seek God for something, to seek prayer around something, to seek hope. And prayer is a great way for us to practice that. So I want to give you just, you know, 15, 20 seconds to write down something that might just be coming to your mind. What's a place that you need prayer because there's a place where you are longing for hope? You can write that down. Again, feel free to take it with you yourself, or if you want to, you can put it in the back in one of the blue little cans and the staff and the elders of VC would love to be praying for you about a place where you're longing for hope. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up. There'll be one more invitation. We'll also have someone come up who's going to help with prayer as well. But our, our next invitation is about that burning heart. And I want to invite anyone that feels like their heart is burning within them. There's a sense of God's presence with them and maybe a desire to follow Jesus, whether it's for the first time or to make a commitment again to receive this new resurrection life. For you to have a moment to say yes to that on this beautiful Easter day. We're going to have some more invitations, but I just want to give you a few seconds to even just close your eyes and to say, is there something that God's doing in your heart that's making your heart burn within you? Maybe it's something you already put down for prayer, but maybe it is this kind of commitment that God's calling you to. A way that you want to say, yes, I want to follow Jesus for the first time. A way that you want to say, yes, I want to recommit my path back towards Jesus. I've been walking alone. I want to walk with him. And if that's you, if you're someone that just wants to say today, yes, I want to follow Jesus, or yes, I want to decide again to follow Jesus in a wholehearted way, I want to invite you just to raise your hand, to say yes to God, even in this way, to say yes to a kind of renewal and refreshment, yes to communion and to hope, yes to saying I want to be someone that walks with Jesus in a daily way. So that's you. You can just raise up your hand. There's a connection that God is, is asking and wanting for. And there's something that God has in store for each one of us as we think about our hearts and the way that they are actually connecting deeply with God and the way that God wants to go deeper with all of us going to have Michelle come up to share a few more words, but I want to just pray for us. You can just open up the palms of your hands if you want to. Holy Spirit, I just pray that you'd be active here, that you'd be giving us your spirit and your presence. Holy Spirit, 
connect with us right now. Help us walk with you. And I pray, God, there'd be a powerful word today for someone that doesn't have a habit of connecting, whether it's walking or prayer. I just feel like God wants to release a habit that would start as a small seed and grow into what the Bible calls uh, an oak of righteousness. So, Lord, would you just give that to someone today as a gift?